You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're listening in to an interview Tom recently had with Ryan Craig. Ryan is an attorney, an entrepreneur, and a venture investor. He's also a leading critic of higher education. When he sees half of the people that try it failing to earn degrees, and most of them leaving with a pile of debt, he also sees an emergency. As Ryan would say, the patient is bleeding out on the table. Inspired by the rise of coding boot camps, his new book, A New You, Faster and Cheaper Alternatives to College, outlines a radically different post-secondary landscape, one where everyone has access to free or at least debt-free training for high-paying jobs. Let's listen in as Ryan talks to Tom. Ryan Craig, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Tom, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an honor and pleasure. How'd you get to Yale? <laughs> uh, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, have uh, grandparents uh, with the resources to uh, support me uh, there. Um, and I, I uh, should, uh, should also mention I had a family that uh, was uh, you know, sufficiently uh, supportive to provide me with the kind of environment that would uh, uh, allow me to uh, you know, get the grades and scores, uh, that, uh, would get me there and, uh, certainly realize my good fortune in both of those, uh, departments. And I, you're a prolific blogger and author. And so I've, I've read a good deal about your experience there. It's, it sounds like you had a pretty good experience at Yale. Yeah, no, there's no question. Um, the, uh, had a wonderful time, uh, met, uh, my, my best friends, uh, met my wife, first day of uh, freshman English. So there's a lot about the traditional college experience that uh, I hold uh, very, very dear. Uh, and in, in fact, in the, in the book, uh, so dear that I recount uh, a number of, uh, of, of stories, the beginning of every chapter actually, uh, recount uh, stories that are, you know, somewhat of a, an elegy or maybe even a eulogy uh, for that traditional college uh, experience, right. recognizing what, uh, what we may be losing or on the verge of losing as a, uh, a result of these uh, dual crises of uh, affordability and um, employability. We'll talk about your, uh, your new book is A New You. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, why did you decide to go to law school? Huh. Uh, I uh, was a McKinsey uh, uh, analyst and uh, sat in too many uh, uh, offices and conference rooms with the uh, Senior uh, executives as a, as a as a 22 23 year old to uh, try to tell them how to do their job and realize that I actually uh, an additional credential would be beneficial. <laughs> well, speaking of McKinsey, um, McKinsey is actually a pretty great finishing school. I mean, you really do learn a ton about problem solving and running meetings and about project management. Right. It's it's a pretty great business school in and of itself, isn't it? It is. And uh, you don't uh, take on any debt. Uh, quite the opposite. So those are the sort of models. Well, if you work 100 hours a week. Well, you take right? physical and mental debt, but not financial debt. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And those are the kinds of models that uh, we, we, we like. We like these uh, employer pay uh, finishing school pathways to uh, successful career models. Um, you, you learn how to invest, uh, I, I think, from a, an apprenticeship at Warburg, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Now, I worked for uh, uh, an individual who uh, was really one of the, 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 uh, the fathers of healthcare 
uh, investing uh, in the uh, in in the, in the U.S. and uh, you know help them uh, figure out uh, the education uh, market and how it was you know similarities and and differences and and obviously learned uh, learned a ton uh, along uh, along along the way. And something I didn't uh, know before when I was snooping around is that you actually ran a school network for six years. I did. I did. Yeah. I've, I've run, I've run schools and summer camps and, uh, I've been an operator and a CEO and built, uh, built an organization that I was really proud of. We, we, uh, it was a therapeutic, uh, schools and camps business addressing the issue of childhood obesity. And we changed, uh, thousands of lives. Um, it's, I think probably the most impactful thing I've done. Certainly a great experience as an operator, but I, I, you guys started, um, university Ventures seven years ago and I, I think you're the smartest uh, investors in the in the post-secondary and talent development space. So you're you're obviously making a big impact there. Yeah, that's a low bar. You're that's like calling someone the tallest midget, but I I, I accept. <laughs> it's a small it's a small group, right? <laughs> Both in terms of investors and in terms of philanthropic investors, it, there's a couple of you. Yeah. On yeah. both sides of the fence, what, um, why you ventures? Well, at the time, uh, we were. Uh, it was clear that the, um, the 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 private sector post secondary model uh, du jour uh, of the for profit university uh, was uh, had, had seen better days, um, and that there was a need for uh, innovation uh, in the uh, in the sector. There were obviously a number of uh, of challenges. Even back uh, seven years ago, college affordability being uh, foremost uh, among them, um, and uh, so we we uh, we were focused on uh, new new models. Uh, you know, how do you take degree programs, make them more affordable, uh, for example? But it became clear in the wake of the Great Recession that uh, there was another challenge, uh, namely employability. That you had college graduates who were coming out uh, 50, 60, 70 percent. Uh, underemployed, not unemployed. You know, if you've, uh, I like to say, if you've got uh, student loan debt, you're going to take the first job that will allow you to pay back those loans. So unemployment is typically not an issue for college grads, but underemployment was a huge problem, bigger than we've ever seen it. Uh, you know, in that in that time frame, and so uh, at UV we began to really focus uh, on the intersection of post secondary education and uh, employment. Uh, and, uh, I think this, uh, this new book is, uh, a good summary of what we've learned, uh, in those, uh, five years or so. One more question before we get to that. Um, in 2015, you published, uh, with Macmillan college disrupted the great unbundling of higher education. So let's, let's do a two minute epilogue. W what did you get right? And what would you say differently today? Well, uh, in retrospect, College Disrupted was really, uh, it was a book that was, uh, was solicited uh, by the publisher uh, from the, uh, the, the UV letter um, that we, we published and still publish on a biweekly basis. And as such, um, it really is sort of a, uh, sort of a, a random walk down uh, Wall Street, uh, <laughs> a random walk down, uh, you know, uh, through, through, through colleges and, and universities, a series of observations on what was happening in the uh, the market on everything from international education to MOOCs uh, to affordability um, to rankings, uh, with uh, you know, in retrospect, not not a, a clear 
uh, theme running through it. The, the one theme that we, we chose was of unbundling, the unbundling of the, the degree. Um, but really not a lot of insight uh, into how that unbundling would actually occur. Well, just on, on the subject of unbundling, is it, is it happening faster or slower differently than you had anticipated? Well, that's what the new book is about. The new book is about how the unbundling is already happening. Uh, and it's happening through the emergence of these faster and cheaper alternatives that lead directly to good jobs, which is really the, the single biggest change in the market, in the in the first book, really didn't talk about um, employability uh, or the the employment imperative. Uh, it became it became clear. Uh, it's become crystal clear that uh, the uh, nearly everyone who enrolls in uh, a post secondary program today is enrolling for um, you know not for altruistic uh, purposes, um, not for personal reasons, unless you know they're from the you know one percent uh, family. But it's about the job and income and career, uh, and specifically around the first job. There's a recognition, you know, that old college uh, and university line that we prepare you for, for your fifth job, not your first job. There is increasing recognition, remarkably fast, how quickly it's come about, that if you don't get a good first job, you're probably not going to get a good fifth job. Yeah, um, I think the Great Recession has certainly made that obvious. If you look at the employment history of millennials who came out, um, during the recession and weren't able to get a good job, there's empirical evidence today that that sets you back for a career. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I, you know, I, 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 I think it's, it's, it's sad, but true that the millennials in many respects are sort of, uh, I think we'll look back, uh, at millennials as almost a lost generation. Now, not the entire generation for sure, but the combination of these, uh, crises of affordability and employability, surrounding millennials really has put them at a disadvantage and along every economic uh, metric uh, in terms of income, wealth, home ownership, new business creation, uh, millennials are falling far short uh, of, uh, of prior generations. So you're, the, the new book, A New You, uh, does have a really clear thesis and that's uh, around faster and cheaper alternatives to traditional higher education with a focus on employability, the thesis is really built up around a set of last mile programs that are emerging around the edges of higher education to borrow a, a theme from Clayton Christensen. Can you give us some, um, you, you outline a set of features that these last mile programs have. Maybe you could Give us a couple examples of last mile programs and and describe some of their features. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, these 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 last mile training uh, programs. Last mile training is a term we've coined uh, to reflect really two things, two distinct things. The first is uh, technical and increasingly digital training, the sort of training that uh, unfortunately a few colleges and universities provide. So you can count on three or four hands the number of uh, schools in the country that are actually training on Salesforce which is the most commonly used SaaS platform and that you will find in uh, a lot of job descriptions for entry-level jobs uh, that college uh, graduates uh, would like to get, but uh, unfortunately are uh, just you know, not being considered for because they don't have that keyword uh, in, their, uh, in, their, in their resume. So there's the technical training, uh, digital training component uh, to, uh, to last mile training. Uh, but then there's also the 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 um, uh, the, the placement 
uh, component, or as I like to say, uh, you know, re- re- removing friction uh, from the uh, the placement uh, equation. So you really have two sets of friction uh, here that are uh, contributing to this uh, employment uh, challenge, or you know, more broadly to the skills uh, to the skills gap. Uh, the first is what I call education uh, friction, which is just the the time and the cost of uh, attaining the education combined with the uncertainty of an employment uh, employment outcome. Uh, and the second would be the hiring friction on the employer side, uh, namely, uh, you know, why would I take a chance on someone who hasn't uh, demonstrated convincingly that they they can do the job or that they've done done the job uh, before? Um, given the increased risk of a, a bad hire or uh, increased uh, churn. Uh, so a successful last mile training program does bo- addresses both the technical or digital training and also uh, reduces or removes uh, those frictions, uh, uh, preferably by absorbing uh, the frictions into itself. Uh, so, uh, you know, we believe that uh, this 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 challenge um, is a uh, as I call it a many to many problem uh, where you have thousands of traditional post secondary institutions and millions of employers and no single institution is capable of managing the relationships uh, the number of relationships at the level of depth with employers to uh, address these frictions and no employer is interested in doing so. With post-secondary institutions, so this many-to-many problem screams for intermediaries to emerge, and these intermediaries, these last-mile training intermediaries, um, again, digital training uh, and absorbing the frictions into uh, into itself, essentially taking on uh, the risk for both the candidate uh, and the, uh, the the employer, and hopefully uh, achieving a payoff uh, in the uh, in the end. So we we see these intermediaries, these last-mile training intermediaries emerging across a wide range of um, industries, uh, most of which are, you know, a clear skill gap uh, industries. So IT, uh, healthcare, uh, medical devices, uh, sales, um, finance, uh, even. And in the book, uh, there's a um, there's a directory of uh, 250 uh, of these last mile training programs across a range of uh, industries. And they range from uh, boot camps to income share programs to uh, staffing models to apprenticeship uh, models and new outsourced apprenticeship models, which I, I can describe, uh, and uh, they all share uh, these uh, these these characteristics: uh, the digital training uh, and absorbing uh, away some or all uh, of these uh, frictions uh, to provide clear, smooth, frictionless pathways to employment. Uh, for either young people or uh, older workers who require upskilling or retraining. You have a list of characteristics of these last mile programs. And as I scan this list, almost all of them stand in contrast to the random assortment of courses that one takes in higher ed. You you describe last mile uh, programs as a focus on technical and job skills, Um, the intensity of a boot camp setting, that's really intensity and application, and then it's really about demonstrated competencies more than more than grades and credits. The, the strong connection to employers, clear pathways rather than random courses. This connection to high wage, you know, first jobs. Um, 
all of those are radically different than what we've come to know as higher education today. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, you know the the higher education. If you if you think about you know the sets of skills that uh, employers are seeking, uh, cognitive skills obviously are at the top of the list. Uh, you know the the problem solving, critical thinking. Uh, those skills, while in many uh, ways difficult uh, to uh, 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 enunciate, uh, uh, difficult to 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 explain, are uh, you know uh, tend to be what make uh, you know uh, uh, differentiate successful workers from uh, unsuccessful workers. Um, that's really where colleges and universities have been focused. <laughs> They're focused. Uh, on uh, it, not, not 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 in a targeted way, uh, but sort of uh, generally, uh, the the five hundred billion dollars that we spend on colleges and universities is an investment in uh, a sort of a generic view uh, of uh, cognitive uh, skills, not applied really to any uh, specific uh, employment, or rarely applied to any specific employment uh, context. But that leaves out um, the uh, Two uh, elements, uh, the, the the two skills uh, skill areas uh, that, uh, while uh, not as important as cognitive skills, are actually uh, probably more important in the hiring process, and probably increasingly more important at, at the entry for the entry level jobs. And those are soft skills, uh, where uh, you know college and universities will will tell you that uh, you know <laughs> students gain a lot uh, from four years in college. Uh, but uh, sort of query how much of that uh, is actually occurring from the curriculum versus extracurricular. And then secondly, how much of that soft skill development would occur uh, if you took the, the same cohort and put them in a work environment over those four, that four-year period? My guess is it would be comparable or it may be better. Uh, and then the, the big missing piece is the technical or digital uh, skills, which have proliferated across job descriptions across every industry, particularly for entry-level jobs. Uh, and so think about, you know, uh, an entry level sales position, right? Uh, Fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, uh, you know, but when I was coming out of uh, coming out of college, uh, those uh, those positions, those entry level sales jobs, actually required a pretty, you know, reasonable level of independent judgment and thinking, right? How am I going to develop these leads? Who am I going to call next? What's my pitch going to be? Uh, you know, how am I going to report back to my manager at the end of the week on my progress? Those are all things that. I would have had to think about today a uh, new sales uh, employee uh, coming into the workforce. Uh, they uh, th- their job will be uh, mediated and in many ways directed. Every function mediated and perhaps directed by uh, a sales uh, Salesforce uh, CRM platform. Uh, so um, you know that elevates the relative importance of the technical skill of actually using that platform. And unfortunately, it's don't like to admit it, but uh, it does reduce the level of cognitive skills required to be successful uh, in that first job, not as a career, right? And you st- you're still going to need all those same skills uh, going, uh, going forward. But for that first job, uh, you know, I would rather hire someone uh, who uh, is, uh, you know, uh, trained to use the platform has sufficient uh, cognitive skill uh, development to be successful in the role, uh, then hire someone with, who who is uh, you know sixty thousand dollars in debt uh, with a four year degree uh, with a- excess cognitive skills, insufficient technical skills, uh, 
uh, and uh, is probably going to churn out of that uh, that job uh, in six months. And that's sort of what we have uh, today. So we are not arguing um, for a reduction uh, in the aggregate or per capita level of post-secondary education at all. That would be economic suicide uh, in the modern global economy. What we are strong, strongly arguing for is a radical restaging of how that post-secondary education is consumed for many or most people. Uh, and that is to say uh, a faster and cheaper pathway to a good first job, uh, get your foot on the first rung of the career ladder, get some economic security under your belt with no debt. Uh, after having done that for two, three, four years, look around uh, and evaluate what additional secondary, tertiary, post-secondary pathway you will need in order to move on, move up, develop your cognitive skills, become a manager, et cetera. Um, so that's, we, it, it is truly, and that's how the unbundling uh, is going to uh, occur. Uh, it's, it's not going to occur because colleges and universities are suddenly uh, turning their uh, traditional credit hour degree programs into competency-based uh, programs and everyone's still going to do 120 credits. <laughs> uh, it's going to happen because uh, uh, young people uh, care about uh, good first jobs, uh, and they're going to choose uh, uh, better value propositions, uh, pathways that lead uh, to those good first jobs that uh, may not require uh, a four-year degree. The book is long on IT and and healthcare, but um, it didn't go into as much uh, detail as I thought around career and technical education. And what what's your take there? Huh. So, uh, look, there's no question that um, CTE or the traditional uh, trades or vocations, uh, those are areas where, uh, you know, these sorts of models, apprenticeship models, obviously, um, are playing a role and can play an increasingly important role in creating pathways. Uh, it, it is sort of a pet peeve of mine that every time uh, a reporter writes uh, on alternatives to college, they're equating it uh, with these, you know, traditional blue collar trades. Um, and the problem with that uh, is that in the minds of 99% of parents, yeah. that's just simply realize the, uh, the importance of getting a college yeah. degree. <laughs> so those jobs are good jobs. They should be respected. But most um, upper middle class uh, families uh, are, are not going to be excited right. about uh, their well, son but, becoming an electrician. Or but there's also subtle differences that, um, uh, that are very important. Um, but hard to tease out. And, and these, um, there are some technical fields that have very, very lucrative earn and learn ladders and some that don't, right? Some that are high wage, high demand, um, high mobility, and uh, some that are not. And the answer to that's not completely universal. It's a bit localized. So I'm uh, puzzling how to provide better uh, advice and guidance across these. Yeah, look, I, 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 I think that's a sort of next stage discussion. If, if by this book, I can get folks focused on the fact that alternative to college is not necessarily synonymous uh, with a you know traditional uh, vocational blue collar trade, but rather uh, also uh, could lead you uh, to exactly the sorts of jobs and careers that college graduates uh, are aiming for in the first place, uh, then I, I will have contributed to the, to the conversation. Then we can have a, a more nuanced discussion around uh, how these alternatives are also uh, you know, elevating uh, the, the trades. I'd love, to, I'd love to get there, but I think in, uh, we, we, with uh, 
you know, uh, knowledgeable uh, reporters continuing to uh, uh, equate uh, alternatives to college with uh, uh, blue collar jobs. Um, you know, we have a long way to go. Uh, borrowing from uh, conversations with Tyler, a great podcast uh, by economist Tyler Cowan, we're going to do a quick lightning round of overrated or underrated. Uh, so quick answers uh, on a couple categories, beginning with online learning, overrated or underrated? Overrated. Can I, can I yes. elaborate? Oh, okay. Overrated uh, because a uh, few hundred uh, percent online programs uh, are successful uh, at uh, creating uh, pathways uh, to direct pathways to employment. Liberal arts. Uh, liberal arts. I, 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 that's a dangerous one. Um, it is. Uh, Fred Zakaria I, I, wrote a book in defense of liberal arts. Uh, so overrated. Well, I think that yeah. To, 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 to the extent it's to the extent it's equated to a four year degree and only uh, occurs within a four year degree context, I would say overrated. Um, but the, the 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 skills, the competencies that a liberal arts uh, education uh, promotes are uh, critical, uh, more important now than they've ever they've ever been. Uh, our, our, again, our 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 view is that uh, that training uh, is going to uh, occur uh, probably post first job for most people uh, in sort of think about it as a graduate uh, stage as opposed to pre-first job, uh, meaning we're, we're, we're sort of turning uh, the undergraduate uh, experience upside down uh, a little bit with uh, the focus on the technical uh, and the soft skills uh, leading to the first job uh, and then uh, furthering the, uh, the education uh, with, uh, you know, those liberal arts sort of post, uh, post first job. Uh, equally important, just a, a restaging of it. Kickers, Frisbee, and Saturdays on the quad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm sad about. Uh, now, keep in mind that only about a quarter of students who were enrolled uh, in our college and universities have anything remotely uh, resembling that uh, experience that I benefited from and so value. So it's not as though, you know, 20 million students are suddenly going to go from Frisbee's on the quad to, uh, you know, uh, sitting in front of their computer in a, uh, at, at, uh, at work. Um, uh, but I, 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 I look at that, that. That's highly valuable. And in, in the final chapter, I do you know, spend time on all the things that I think we're, we're at risk of, of losing. Uh, but as I say, I, I feel like this is sort of a uh, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the economics uh, of sort of what college grads are, are facing, uh, you know, the patient is bleeding out on the table. This is a triage situation where we need to address uh, the, uh, the economic uh, issues and then look at uh, how we uh, fill the gap uh, on some of these, you know, uh, discovery and serendipity and the magic of the of the college quad. How can we replace that? I, I, I actually write that I can imagine uh, and we actually have companies that are running these, uh, you know, last mile training programs that are, you know, creating housing and, and, uh, and dorm space. And, uh, uh, you know, I can imagine a, a comparable uh, environment emerging. In those spaces, now it won't be for four years. It might be for three months, or six months, or twelve months. Um, but uh, you know, you can that 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 sort of environment. It, we 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 have the ability to to recreate that enriching uh, environment in different different right. contexts. That Over, don't necessarily overrated or underrated uh, corporate sponsored degrees. Education as a benefit, if you will. Oh, overrated. 
way overrated that call call that that, that uh, employers are just not seeing a uh, return on that investment that they're making, and uh, I'm confident that 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 level of investment will 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 decline. Uh, over Micro time. credentials, stackable credentials. Yeah, uh, underrated. Uh, that I don't I don't talk a lot about it in the in the book, but we're a big believer. Uh, that that's more from the from the first book, uh, actually. That uh, as the unbundling occurs, uh, that uh, you know the micro credentials uh, will be uh, the, uh, the 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 metric uh, by which uh, competencies are uh, measured uh, and evaluated and received uh, by uh, by employers. A lot of these last mile training intermediaries are using uh, micro credentials uh, and things like e portfolios to demonstrate. Uh, to the end employer, what the competencies of those uh, these these new hires will be? Blockchain. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, overrated right now, uh, insofar as uh, people are uh, concerned about its impact on uh, higher education. In the long run, I think the jury's uh, very much much out. But we don't see anything. We don't see blockchain turning higher education or education to employment upside down or changing it really in any way in the next five years. Artificial intelligence. Uh, overrated, I think, insofar as uh, you have folks like Pearson who seem to think that uh, AI is going to uh, fundamentally upend the uh, instructional uh, experience. Don't see that happening, uh, but we do see uh, real uh, uh, progress and headway uh, in sort of support uh, areas. We have a company called AdmitHub that's just, just doing amazing things in terms of helping colleges and universities with the admissions and financial aid uh, processes. All right. Um, so a a, a yeah. new section. These are 60 seconds, uh, 60 second solutions to big problems. The first one is addressing income inequality. Yeah. The, the, well, I, I you know, we, we think uh, that uh, and, and sort of the punchline of the book is, is that, you know, a lot of the uh, social and political unrest that we're seeing in this country, uh, we believe, is a function of the fact that as a society heretofore, we've said that the only pathway to uh, particip active participation uh, in the dynamic economy uh, runs through 120 credits of a uh, of a accredited college uh, university. And if you don't uh, have the uh, resources or uh, support or wherewithal, to achieve that, um, you know, 90 plus percent of the time, you're sort of doomed uh, to uh, exile uh, from that economy. And so we believe that uh, the, the, the most important, so perhaps the, 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 the biggest solvable problem <laughs> uh, in American uh, society today is the creation of these faster and cheaper alternative pathways to college that lead to good first jobs in growing sectors of the economy. How do we provide... Uh Better access to quality career guidance. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, that that's that that is challenging. Co colleges and universities have a pretty terrible interface <laughs> uh, called career services, um, where if you walk into a career services, you're not talking to uh, anyone who really has any direct experience in the industry you're hoping to get into, but you're talking to someone who's worked in career services their entire life. So. That would be great if you were looking to work in career services, but most of the time you're looking to actually uh, get a, uh, a job outside of uh, higher education and outside of career services. 
Um, our, our fundamental view is, again, this is a many-to-many problem where you need intermediaries uh, who really have their finger on the pulse of what employers uh, need, and that's their, that's their business model or that's their mission. Um, and the answer is not to be found on the employer side or uh, on the uh, college or university side, but rather uh, in these new intermediaries that are emerging whose, uh, who, whose vision uh, or, or purpose or, 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 or business model uh, is to uh, get you a job. Uh, and so uh, that that's where the answer is going to be. Uh, the answer for sort of career uh, discovery, career guidance will be found in these new uh, sort of purpose driven uh, intermediaries. Uh, uh, educational equity. How do we build these new faster and cheaper pathways and not just have all the rich kids go to Yale and all the low income kids go to faster and cheaper pathways? Well, I think one one way to do that is is by making the faster and cheaper pathways uh, uh, successful. Uh, and you know, we we believe that within a few years, uh, you know, you you will have uh, students uh, who will uh, actively uh, choose a faster and cheaper uh, pathway over uh, a uh, selective uh, al- alternative um, because it's a it, it seems like a smarter uh, a smarter uh, a smarter pathway. Um, uh, you know, having 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 said that, these these selective schools, uh, the, their their brands aren't 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 uh, going away any any anytime soon. Uh, let's let's let, let's face it. Um, but I, but I do think that they're they're if 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 uh, even uh, Yale uh, is not successful at uh, addressing the, uh, the the focus on the first the first job, and there are a number of things that I think a school like Yale could do uh, to do that. Uh, then you know they're they're really at risk of uh, you know of, of becoming uh, out of date, outmoded, and in some ways you know I make the uh, the statement that in, in a decade, if you hear that someone's choosing a a, a, a a degree program like that over a faster and cheaper model, it, it may you may view that the same way you'd view it today as it, you know you heard that someone was uh, their daughter was coming out as a debutante, uh, meaning uh, sort of old fashioned, expensive, elitist, unnecessary. You know, really, <laughs> why would you? Why would you? We do that now. Uh, again, the 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 more elite schools are are much more insulated uh, from that. But I I can see a day where uh, even they will have to be attentive to this. Uh, to Last this solution: How do we build more agile civic capacity? Yeah, well, I think that uh, again, uh, uh, I'm I'm most concerned around uh, the. Uh, you know, wage stagnation uh, and uh, economic inequality uh, that we're we're seeing, and I'm hopeful that um, economic um, uh, participation and pathways uh, to the dynamic uh, economy will help uh, stimulate uh, stimulate that, uh, and that that's actually more important than you know uh, the fact that you know millions of people won't be. Uh, you know, uh, getting uh, their sort of introductory uh, civics in a you know, liberal arts context at the age of 18 or, 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 or 19. Two more questions. What, uh, what's a higher ed MVP? A college MVP is a um, uh, essentially trying, trying to replicate uh, the, uh, the college experience by building on uh, cognitive skill development ahead uh, of that last mile training uh, component. Uh, so you can imagine uh, a uh, you know b- building backwards from the last mile training, uh, an MVP that could be a year, two years, three you know longer uh, even, depending on the level of cognitive skill development required. But it basically it's a design thinking approach 
to, uh, to, the, to this question where you start with the first job and work backwards. And the first thing you need is that last mile uh, of the technical skills and soft skills. And then the next thing is that the question is, given your level of selectivity into the program, what level of cognitive skill development do you need? And you may need, you know, a month or six months or a year, uh, depending on who it is you're targeting for the program. Um, last question. I'd, I'd love to have you explain this uh, quote from the book. Pathways to good first jobs in growing sectors of the economy don't need to be shoehorned into credentials. That, uh, you know, the, the, uh, we think in many ways uh, we are sort of uh, past uh, peak credential. You've heard the term peak oil. <laughs> uh, we think peak credential was a few years ago. Uh, and that today, in a world where competencies can be uh, readily uh, uh, distinguished uh, by uh, employers uh, in the form of micro-credentials or e-portfolios or, you know, look at your GitHub uh, account, uh, that, uh, you know, the employers are going to be looking a lot less uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the credential, uh, that you can actually look at the competency. So it's really a, another way of saying, we are on our way uh, uh, on the on the shift from degree and pedigree based hiring to competency based hiring. Uh, Ryan, where can people find you online? <laughs> uh, well, uh, they can find me at uh, my my uh, my Twitter account uh, at uh, Ryan Craig UV. It's probably the best way, but uh, also universityventures.com, which is the home of the UV uh, letter, uh, and then I have a Forbes uh, column as well. Uh, and then they can find the book, uh, A New You, uh, Faster and Cheaper Alternatives to College uh, at uh, Amazon or a bookstore near them. Yeah, I'd encourage everybody to sign up for the University Ventures letter. It's uh, fun and insightful, the best writing on higher ed out there. Ryan Craig, thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. Tom, thank you. I feel smarter having talked to you. A big thanks to Ryan for taking time to chat with Tom. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. If you want to learn more about innovations in higher ed, listen to Season 3, Episode 33 with Jeff Diffenbach from the MIT Integrated Learning Initiative. You can also check out Season 3, Episode 27 with Matt Patinsky on how better transcripts will improve admissions, employment, and licensing. And as always, if you like today's episode, be sure to leave us a rating and hit subscribe. And for more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica, signing out.